Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. A little later in the show, we're going to be joined by Lisa Brown, who is now the Oakland County Clerk and a former state lawmaker, to talk to her about what it looks like or what it feels like when male counterparts, male counterparts at work, tell women that they got to be quiet. Stop talking. Elizabeth Warren in the U.S. Senate experienced that this week when she started reading a letter from Coretta Scott King about Senator Jeff Sessions, who was the nominee to be attorney general. Uh, the, the leaders of the Senate told her she couldn't do that because it was impugning Jeff Sessions. So they told her to be quiet. Lisa Brown has some experience with that when she was a state representative speaking on the House floor. They told her to be quiet uh, during an anti-abortion a debate over an anti-abortion legislation because she said the words vagina and vasectomy, both medical terms, but also uh, deemed politically charged in that environment. So we're going to talk to her about uh, what that what that was like then and uh, what it looks like now for Elizabeth Warren. We're also going to be joined by WDET's Ann DeLisi later to talk about the Grammys that are coming up this weekend. But first, uh, it's Friday, so we have been uh, inviting in folks on Friday who see the world differently than I do. I get to sit here all week and say what I think and uh, sort of shape this show according to my vision of the world. Uh, On Fridays, we invite somebody in who says, Maybe that's not the right way to think about it. Maybe there are different ways to think about it. It is part of our effort in the wake of last year's awful and rancorous uh, political climate and season to try to incorporate different voices, more different voices into this program. Uh, And joining me this week is Sheikha Dalmia, Senior Analyst at the Reason Foundation. Sheikha, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Steve. Absolutely. Uh, And we should make clear up front, you know, I mean, you and I, we agree on a lot of things, actually. Uh, Maybe about half of the things that that we might uh, discuss. But but you consider yourself uh, a libertarian, uh, which is a different uh, political sort of category that I would put myself in, and there, therefore, there are lots of things we disagree about. <laughs> Actually, you know, as far as libertarians are concerned, everybody is a libertarian. They just don't know They it just yet. don't understand why, right? That's right. I mean, I consider myself uh, certainly a civil libertarian in many ways, and there are lots of things about libertarian thought that really uh, do appeal to me. I tend to, however, think more about, uh, I think, the, the the connection and the obligation between human beings and the role of government in uh, both fostering and protecting those connections. And I think that uh, sometimes moves me out of that sphere uh, that libertarians. Uh, right. And I think you and I, you know, are in agreement that, uh, you know, People should take care of each other. We just disagree that the government. You don't think government should have. Yeah, well, not only that it doesn't, shouldn't have a role, but I think it actually comes in the way of that kind of cooperation and ultimately makes things worse rather than better. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, we can keep talking about libertarianism, <laughs> but I think. <laughs> right? Well, I think it's important to, to, to talk about sort of uh, what people think and why and sort of where that comes from, because I don't think we all understand that about each other. I think uh, there are a lot of assumptions that get made about what 
conserv- what, what it means to be a conservative, what it means to be a Republican, what it means to be a liberal or a Democrat. And, uh, and I think fewer people actually understand uh, what it means to be a libertarian than any of those other things. Uh, I, I hear lots of people say, say things about what libertarian is, libertarianism is that I'm like, eh, I don't actually think that's right. Oh, yeah. This, this <laughs> term has uh, now become, um, you know, up for grabs. And in fact, I was just <laughs> thinking this morning, you know, libertarians were really upset uh, in the middle of the 20th century when the term actually liberal got stolen from them yeah. and got, co- got co-opted for all kinds <laughs> of progressive ends that they did not support. And uh, so they went on to use the word libertarian to describe themselves, which is basically a term that means that we need to have minimal government coercion on in people's lives. And, you know, the, the most cliched formulation of that is we want the government out of the bedroom and the boardroom. Right. Uh, and now it seems uh, libertarianism is getting co-opted by all kinds of people whom libertarians would cringe to have on their side. Sure, sure. And uh, I was just thinking that I should write a column, you know, saying maybe we need another word now to describe ourselves. <laughs> right, uh, ditch the word and, and Liberta- leave it to, to the people who have stolen it. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, either we, we can't ditch them because, you know, part of libertarianism is that you don't want to control what people say and do. Right. And um, so you don't want to go around having a, a policing the movement and telling people you are not a libertarian. You're not, you're, yeah. That's right. So we've just got to find another word for to describe what we believe. I mean, we'll see if it ever comes yeah. to that. But our, our producer Laura Weber Davis says libertarians. How about that? Well, you know, there is actually a pretty robust movement among libertarians right now to look for uh, alliances with liberals, yeah. and because conservatives, as far as libertarians are concerned are going in such a terrible direction right now with uh, Trump as the president that, uh, you know, we need to ditch those traditional alliances and look for new ones with liberals. And libertarian is actually a word out there. (laughs) See, look at that. Okay, so let's talk talk about some of the things that are going on in the news. And if you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call, 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, Sheikha, I I want to start with... uh, the Trump cabinet, which we are seeing uh, the the votes sort of come up uh, pretty regularly now on the nominees uh, that, that he's made for the various cabinet positions. Uh, one that I think stands out this week is Jeff Sessions, who was confirmed to be the next attorney general. Is not somebody I'm a fan of uh, for for many reasons, but uh, this is also an area where you and I agree that uh, that this is a problematic figure, and especially in the role as attorney general, sort of poses a threat to civil liberties. Yeah, no, uh, libertarians are actually kind of heartsick about uh, Jeff Session as attorney general. Perhaps in some other post, like the Office of uh, Management and Budget or something, he may have been okay. But to make him attorney generalist, like to make uh, the fox the guardian of the uh, hen house, as far <laughs> as we are concerned, you know, he is uh, consistently bad on practically every issue that libertarians are concerned about. He believes in uh, 
big incarceration state mm-hmm. um you know he, and he uh, uh, he wants to double down on the war on drugs he is in favor of mass deportation of undocumented workers he is in favor of civil asset forfeiture which has been a huge issue for libertarians sure. and this is you probably you know know all about it uh, and have been talking to your uh, listeners about this but essentially what it means is that the government without convicting anybody for a crime can forfeit their property their car their yeah. other possessions on uh, merely the hint of a charge uh, yeah. and it has become a huge racket where a lot of local budgets actually uh, depend police budgets depend upon this kind of a system to uh, support themselves and uh, it is playing havoc in people's lives and uh, jeff sessions and donald trump are both big fans of this yeah. and uh, this is a huge problem for us yeah I, you know i i have a column in the free press this morning about uh, about uh, general sessions and and some opportunities i think he has to prove some of his critics wrong about his record on civil rights uh, if you look uh, over the last two couple of years at the DOJ reports on police departments in Ferguson and right. Chicago and Baltimore i mean these are these are really harrowing reports right. stories about uh, routine violation of people's civil rights and right. and those reports were done of course after uh, shootings of of black men in those cities but uh, you know far less than 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 the shooting uh, these these are uh, i mean you sort of back away from that extreme and you see this everyday sort of violation of people's uh, civil rights the idea that uh, you know you can't even walk down the street in some of these cities without the police stopping you and interrogating Stop and you. you yeah yeah right, right. Um, and uh, look you say he has to prove his critics wrong i just don't think he cares about his critics just as trump doesn't care see, about this i always this. wonder about that yeah i mean you know they uh, trump ran uh, as a law and order candidate which uh, we know what that means yeah. it means that he wants to give police more resources and uh, less accountability in dealing with uh, with crime and to that end trump has also been creating you know this uh, so, um, completely trumped up so to speak uh, accusations about the crime wave in this country sure. going up i mean and he has Which gotten is... into trouble recently for saying that uh, you know violent crime is the uh, highest it's been in 45 years which is completely Not false true. completely yeah. false and uh, you know but this is the kind of thing that uh, a fee will feed jeff session and his mission in uh, as attorney general yeah. Yeah. so instead of making police uh, departments accountable to the people he will make them less accountable and uh you know allow them to you know have free reign yeah i mean there's already some signaling that they're going to do that with uh, an executive order that the president signed yesterday just as jeff sessions was being sworn in uh, to give the police a little more uh, power to deal with uh, pushback against right. uh, some of the things that they've been doing so i you know i'm not particularly optimistic that uh, that that he will do it differently but uh, you know you always got to put it out there and 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 hope right. that uh, i mean and what's unfortunate about the sessions appointment is that you know there was this growing concern among republicans the tide had shifted and they were finally beginning to take criminal justice reform seriously after Baltimore and Ferguson yeah. and all the video recordings of police brutality and uh, you know what have you 
and uh, Jeff Sessions has uh, is simply not going to take all that evidence seriously. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Sheikha Dalmia, a senior analyst at the Reason Foundation. Uh, she's here this week to wrap up the week's news with me. If you want to join the conversation, give me a call, 313-577-1019 to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. We were just talking about uh, Jeff Sessions, the new Attorney General of the United States. Uh, now we're going to turn to a subject that I know we don't agree on, <laughs> uh, the Affordable Care Act. Uh, we've seen town halls start to take place around the country again uh, around this issue just as we saw in uh, 2000, I think it was 2009 or 2010, when they were debating the law. Uh, this time, it's people who are uh, who are protective protective of the law, who want to maintain the reforms that were put in place, who are showing up at these town halls yelling at uh, Republican congressmen, uh, the way Democratic congressmen uh, got it uh, six years ago. Uh, Sheikha, this is, of course, a, a major cleave in this in this nation between liberal and conservative. Uh, libertarians, I, I think, uh, fall into a slightly different category. Uh, but but you're big critics of of the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, we are, and uh, the reason we are big critics of the Affordable Care Act is because. Uh, you know, American healthcare system has uh, always been irrational, um, and uh, it's been irrational in the way that uh, you know a lot of public systems are, which is that they don't care about the cost and the price of anything. Uh, they try and promise a whole set of benefits to a whole lot of people and don't know how they are going to pay for them. And Obamacare took this problem and make, made it infinitely worse. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, and so uh, this was not a rational program. But now that you have more people dependent on certain subsidies that the government is providing to purchase health care, it is going to be enormously politically difficult to move it to something that makes any sense. And if you thought that the war over Obamacare was contentious and nasty, uh, I think uh, we are in for a real ride now with yeah, repeal no, and reform. It's going to be very nasty. And, and you know, the truth is, uh, I, I, I think, I mean, I agree with you that uh, that this was an expansion of uh of entitlement, and that was that was the point. The point was to say we are going to prioritize access uh, and availability of healthcare over cost, uh, and some of that it has to do with the compromises I think that were made during uh, during the, the the initial debate. I mean, if you were not to if you were not going to go sort of full bore on the idea of access and government uh, subsidized access, you were going to cause some of the problems that we are seeing, for instance, in the emerging uh, markets around these exchanges. These are new markets. They have uncertain populations. Uh, they have uncertain costs. And so the volatility that we're seeing where people are seeing uh, their their insurance rates go you know, uh, wildly up or, or uh, inconsistently uh, rendered, um, that was predictable. Uh, but I, you know, I come back to this idea that ultimately the goal needs to make to be to make sure that people have access to healthcare and not just emergency healthcare, which is what we have always had. You know, anybody can walk into an emergency room and get treated. The issue is 
who pays for that and how do we pay for that? And paying for it on that end, as opposed to paying it on the insurance end, is always going to be more expensive. In the long run, I believe that the reforms that are in place will deal with cost. They will bring costs down. We had to be patient about that. Uh, but I think going in another direction at this point, in a direction that, that moves away from the access side, again, puts a lot of people's lives in, in peril. And that, I, I just don't, I guess I don't understand the impulse to, to try to fix it that way. Well, uh, oh, I agree with you on about 20% of what you said. <laughs> right, I disagree good. with 80% of what you said. Look, I, you know, like I said, Obamacare took an irrational system and made it even more irrational. Uh, the system that we've had in place, you know, create uh, or we had in place before Obamacare created healthcare haves and uh, healthcare have-nots. And the healthcare haves who basically either got, you know, uh, insurance through a government system like Medicare mm-hmm. or through a private system through employer who get tax credits to or tax uh, tax breaks to get that you know to provide health care could consume unlimited care without any price consciousness whatsoever uh, you literally had a uh, you know blank check on consumption uh, on the other hand who people uh, you know who did not have employer provided coverage and did not qualify for the government programs had no health care or very expensive health care as you pointed out. Uh, you know, the only way they could get healthcare was by going to the emergency room. Yeah. Now, the way to deal with this was not to give everybody a blank check or more people a blank check, but to uh, equalize the system. And one way to equalize the system, and this was discovered, uh, this was discussed a fair amount during uh, the Obamacare debate, was. Uh, you know, let's move to a system where we limit the tax breaks that we are giving employers and equalize the treatment that individuals get. And let's give those tax breaks also to individuals so that they can buy their health care coverage um, you know, post sure. uh, post taxes, which will make coverage cheaper. But the second thing that would do is it would force individuals to think about the prices of health coverage. Think about exactly what package they want to buy and what uh, services they want to use. And, uh, you know, as in any other industry, when uh, consumers uh, shop around, they bring down prices, which makes healthcare affordable for everybody. Unfortunately, Obamacare did not go in that direction. It didn't. It didn't. Um, And, uh, you know, the question now is, how do you how do you fix it, right? Yeah. What what do you do? And I think you make a great point. It's really difficult once you extend a benefit to somebody to pull it back. I mean, I think there's almost no way to do that without paying uh, serious serious political consequences. Right. Uh, that that I don't even think the Republican Party is. So to you know, that. I've been I was telling you I was working on this column. I mean, everybody has been fixated on uh, the you know Obamacare exchanges yes. and the people who get coverage from there. And the reason they are fixated on that is, as you pointed out, premiums have been going up because uh, you know sick people have been signing up. Uh, and healthy people have not. And healthy people have not, despite the existence of an individual mandate. Right. It's cheaper for healthy people to just pay their fine, pay the fine and right. uh, not sign up. And so you have a sicker population, which is driving up costs, which means you drive up premiums and more uh, healthy people drop out. And you are in this literally in this uh, death spiral of adverse selection, as they call it. Uh, and so the question is, what do you do about these people? 
And, uh, you know, Republicans have all kinds of plans, none of which they can actually put in place, uh, you know, if it will mean throwing a whole bunch of people, you know, off these exchanges. And uh, so that's one aspect of it. The, actually, the bigger aspect, but what's not fully <laughs> properly understood is that the exchanges provide insurance to only a small subset of the uninsured. Yes. The va the much bigger problem is the Medicaid expansion component of Obamacare. And uh, 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 Medicaid, in fact, I was just looking at the numbers, uh, provides, uh, you know, is responsible for almost 80% of the new coverage. Yes. So they are like 13 million people who yeah. are uh, in three years who got coverage through, through Medicaid. Medicaid. yeah. And, and what's wrong with that? And, the, and what's wrong? <laughs> well, what's wrong with that is that the federal government, you know, for, so let me back up. I mean, Medicaid is a system that is already consuming half a trillion dollars yes. in national and state spending. Right. We are paying something like $7,000 per man, woman and child covered by Medicaid. That is not insignificant. But the care that they get through it is actually quite bad. But we'll get we'll we'll get into that later. Uh, the problem right now is that, um, you know, 31 states signed up for Medicaid because Obamacare promised that it would pay for 100 percent of the initial coverage, um, you know, of the new patient yeah. load and 90 percent into perpetuity. And uh, if they if Republicans are going to take away, yeah. uh, you, uh, you know, this money from these states, that's going to mean that they're going to throw a whole bunch of people out of insurance. Yeah. On the other hand, if they uh, try and extend the same treatment to all the states that did not uh, buy into Medicaid, they will drive up the cost of the program. Yeah. And so there is really no good way yeah. for Republicans to right now deal with it. Right. Well, um, I mean, it's it's a it's a great example of, uh, you know, the difference between uh, being the opposition party, uh, throwing rocks at uh, the, the, the party in power and what they're doing, and then, you know, finding yourself in the captain's chair and having to, to deal with these things and having to deal with consequences. Right. Uh, no, but look, I mean, let me just say one thing. Republicans do have some really good ideas on paper. The problem is that the politics of those are very, very, are very difficult, difficult. difficult to negotiate. So, yeah. for instance, on Medicaid, what they want to do is give states a block grant. Yeah, well, that uh, doesn't work. It well, doesn't work for something like healthcare because <laughs> well, it does. block grants are tied in growth to inflation and medical costs are not. Well, but the bet over there is the reason you have uh, healthcare inflation, which is higher than general inflation, is precisely what I was talking about earlier, that you do not have a price sensitive consumer. So the, uh, the idea with the block grants is, um, and this is the latest idea that Tom Price, uh, you know, that the healthcare secretary who just got confirmed last night has been pushing is that, uh, you know, you tie the block grants to, stay, uh, to uh, states creating uh, some kind of a catastrophic plan that people have to buy, along with something called the health save savings account, which means that states use this money to purchase bare bones coverage for uh, their Medicaid population, but also give these Medicaid uh, you know, patients a fixed amount to use to pay for other services. And the result is that over a period of time, you will bring down costs because, again, you will right. bring, bring in some price consciousness. So that to me well, is just the, that to way. me is the challenge yeah. of healthcare is to bring down inflation i think everybody agrees with that we're to bring down the cost bring down the cost but and the, the system we have now will also accomplish that 
in the long run. Once Not these markets, really. <laughs> once these markets stabilize, uh, and once the effect of having, for instance, uh, more people with insurance as opposed to going into uncompensated mm. uncompensated care. No, it will not. It will not, Stephen. And let me explain why it will not. The reason is that if you get everybody, look, what Obamacare exchanges do is uh, the qualifying plans, you know, on Obamacare exchanges, and this is not going to change if Obamacare stays the way it is, have to provide very lavish benefits to everybody. Yes. If people start actually buying and using these benefits, again, you have a system where you have a blank check for a flat fee and people will overconsume healthcare. Uh, wh- wh- and this, this that idea is, of, this that's idea the problem. Of overconsumption of healthcare. I mean, that's such an odd idea. I mean, people don't go to the doctor if they don't need to. People don't uh, run to the emergency room unless they have an that's emergency. That's actually I not mean, that well that, and what that's what we've seen what we've seen with the expansion of Medicaid and and the expansion of insurance is incredible reductions in the cost that's of uncompensated not, care. 300 million dollars in savings. Okay, well, uh, in, uh, from uncompensated care, emergency room visits are not down. I know that. Right. But uncompensated care. It doesn't matter. Is, uncompensated care was only 20 billion dollars oh. of a, you know, of <laughs> No, no, but no, but when you consider it in the context yes. of how much we spend on healthcare, which is over a trillion dollars just on Medicare and Medicaid, you know, that was less than what department lost department stores lost to shoplifting every year. So that was <laughs> never that was never going to care. This was one of the big lies of Obamacare was that you know you can pay for all this expanded coverage by eliminating by uncompensated saving. care. No, I mean the problem is that you ha- you know you say people don't overconsume healthcare in this I'm country. That as well, a they rule do. Some people do. No, no, no. Look, the whole doctors <laughs> over here, since they don't have to, you know, they the patients are never asking them why are you ordering twenty different tests for me? Why do I need an MRI for a headache? Uh, you know, you have all kinds of wasteful spending just because doctors can make a buck that they way. Yeah. They can do it, and patients don't have to. Uh, patients don't ask any questions because they don't have an incentive yeah. to. All right, let's let's take some calls here. We got some people who want to join this conversation. Uh, Greg and Fraser, welcome to Detroit today. Hello, uh, thank you for taking my call. Hey, how are you? I just wanted to mention that um, uh, since Reagan signed the the bill where you can't be refused at emergency room, right? The, Healthcare is a right. It's just a question of where we want to pay for the healthcare, whether whether you want to pay for it at the emergency room or you want to pay for it with people going to the doctor. Right. Um, and then why do we why do we um, tie in the profit motive into the healthcare? Um, I believe what uh, I believe there was a famous example where the one head of uh, United Healthcare got paid a billion dollars in bonuses, and uh, with that kind of uh, profit motive built into the system. How can we ever cut the cost if we're, we're staying with a for-profit right. care system rather than going to say like a Medicare for all? <laughs> Greg, you just you just made yeah. Sheikah's head explode. <laughs> Greg, thanks very much for the call. Obviously, we could we could talk for hours about why you you would disagree with that, but yeah. I think the, the 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 general gist of what he's saying though, which is it gets back to my original point, putting care and access before profit. I think. Is is again? I mean, that's that's the fundamental difference Look, here. And cannot, there are people who believe, and I'm one of them, that uh, that that 
that on on issues like healthcare, and I don't think this is true for everything, uh, but with issues like healthcare, these are these are uh, issues that should be driven by uh, human interest as opposed to money, and that's difficult, I know, in a system that uh, is designed. Well, okay, to, uh, so uh, you know, did you you know first to start with the philosophical part of it about healthcare, whether that's a right or it's not a right. Rights, as we understand them. Well, I think what he's saying is that because you can go to an emergency room and get care, it's a right. I mean, there, you, you can't be denied right, care. Right, right. I mean, I, I don't understand. think he's making the, the, the bigger philosophical issue. Right, but let me just there. start with that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when we, because language matters, you know, when we start actually buying this idea that healthcare is a right, uh, you know, it leads to certain pol- policy consequences. And rights in this country are not meant against your fellow citizens, they are meant against the government, sure, right? Sure. And so when you say I have a right to healthcare, you're basically saying I have a right to get doctors to perform services for a certain amount of money, or hospitals to provide me beds for, you know, a certain amount of money. That is the logic of price controls. And the problem with price controls is they take away the incentive to actually produce the goods and services people want, and it intensifies the competition for those services. Uh, uh, And that's the logic we are facing right now, which is is not working. Yeah. yeah. All right. We could continue this argument uh, for hours, (laughs) and I would love to do that. We will have you back uh, to talk about this because it's not going anywhere. It is not going anywhere. It's going to be a big debate. All right. Shika Dalmi, as always, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. This was fun. Yes, it was. Up next, Elizabeth Warren was censured by Republican leadership in the Senate this week. We're going to talk about the fallout next. Lisa Brown, Oakland County Kirk, is here to talk with us about her experience with that. Stay with us on Detroit Today.